Charlie and worship team, thank you guys for uh, preparing our hearts to bring us into the presence of the Lord. And uh, Charlie, thank you for pointing out my spelling error. And uh, for those of you who caught that, you know what, Let, let's, we're just going to call that a very clever play on words, okay? So if you'll if you work with me on that, that's, let, let's say that I intended that and we'll just call it a play on words instead of a spelling mistake. Conveniently though, I would like to talk to, uh, to you guys about lives that are altered as we sacrifice them to the Lord. We, uh, as a family, we try and get up to my mom's place in uh, northern Minnesota as often as we can. We uh, make our way up Highway 371, and as we get close, we start, to see, we start to see signs for the little town of Bacchus, and we look forward to seeing Godfrey's General Store perched on the corner there, and we make a right at the, uh, at the dirt road, Highway 87, and uh, we turn there, and as we head down and wind back toward the lakes, the, uh, we'll pass the Salty Dog Cafe on the left-hand side, and uh, Sanburn Lake will be on the right. And as we see the, uh, the, little, the little tiny cabins that are perched on the south side of Rainy Lake, we know we're just about there. The uh, serenity of this little lake is really hard to beat. And uh, we try and investigate every ledge and drop off or where the fish are at. And um, we enjoy watching the animals come down. And every chance we get, we go into town and see if there's a little homespun play being put on or enjoy the local fireworks display. The good memories come back every time we visit there. And it's always with a touch of sadness that as we round out going back out to Highway 87, it's the last glimpse of the lake and the little sign that we see on our way out. You know, it's been said that familiarity breeds content. But I submit that familiarity may also promote a sense of love and intimacy and comfort and a number of other ideals that probably are coming into your heads as you think of things that are very fond and familiar to you that you thoroughly enjoy and keep close to your hearts. I hope it's that way as we looked at at the passage we're going to look at today. Many of you are very familiar with this. I'm sure some of you have this memorized. And so before you're tempted to mentally check out, thinking, huh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, yep, I, I know this. Before you do that, stay with me. And um, in fact, turn to Second Peter chapter 1, and let's look at this for a moment before you're tempted to do that. Second Peter chapter 2. I'm sorry, Second Peter chapter 1, verses 12 to 13. Peter says, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, things you already know. And have established in the truth which is present with you. And I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder. To be stirred up. That's what, uh, that's what I need today. I need to have my heart rekindled. And so allow God to rekindle and stir up our hearts as we look at these familiar verses. And if you would, stand if you're able to while we read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, 
I say to every man among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Remain standing while we pray. Father, we thank you for the the wonder of your word and the effect that it can have on our lives as we submit to you. Father, thank you that by your word we're changed, by your word we're transformed, by your word we've been born again. We thank you for the power inherent in your word and look to you even today to continue to accomplish the work that you've promised and cause us to become more and more like Christ. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. Let's take a look at the verse 1 in chapter 12. And the, you, you know the rule. Whenever there's a therefore in Scripture, you have to investigate and find out what it's there for. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Present your bodies a sacrifice. This is uh, drastic stuff if you think about it. What would cause Paul to request such a thing? What went on in the verses and chapters before this to cause him to ask such an audacious request? Starting in chapters 9 and right up to the verses we're looking at in chapter 12, we have the greatest concentration of the use of the word mercy in all of Scripture. Paul has shown in previous chapters how we're all sinners and hopelessly lost, but for his mercy. We're we're shown how in God's merciful plan of salvation that he's devised a way to bring us back into relationship with himself. Even though by disobedience Israel had turned away, by his mercy he's grafted in the Gentiles. And now look at chapter 11, verse 32, as he winds this up. It says that God has shut up all in disobedience, that he might show mercy to all. This verse is the transition from the theology of grace to the practical side of what God is now doing in our lives. In the ancient economy, recall that for a judge to show mercy would be completely uncharacteristic. It would be a trait that would compromise his objectivity and cause him to be unfit for service. But God, in his unsearchable judgments and unfathomable ways, has provided a way of salvation by faith through the cross of Christ that rejoices in mercy. This is what the therefore is there for. No wonder Paul burst out in praise and then immediately leads us into the only logical steps that with this great mercy shown, Paul begs us to present our bodies as living sacrifices. We've been bought with a price and therefore rightly belong to him. Note that Paul urges us or begs us or beseeches us. In the Old Testament, the law demanded. It didn't beg. But Paul urges us, not in a pleading, desperate sense, but in a call to recognize what God has done for us by his mercies and for us to respond appropriately in obedience. 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 11 and 12 says, You know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father does his children, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who has called you into his own kingdom and glory. And again in 1 Peter 2, verse 10 and 11, Peter reminds us that we were once not a people, but now are the people of God. That you had not received mercy, but now 
you've received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers, Peter continues, to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. Does it seem strange that in light of what we've been saved from, and in light of what we've been promised in heaven, that we have to be begged to obey, that we have to be begged, implored to live rightly. But if you're like me, and I kind of hope you are, because then I'm not in the same, I'm not in the boat by myself, I'm easily distracted with the things around me. And I need to see here what Paul thought so important that it was necessary for him to beg his listeners to do in order to accomplish his desire that they would follow the Lord. We're going to be looking at four things. One is the, to present your bodies. Two is to refuse the world. Three, to submit to his will. And four, to think rightly. First of all, to present your bodies. What is it? mean to present your body. It's a strange concept, especially in a country that was founded on a uh, rugged individualism. We don't present ourselves typically to anybody, and yet we're asked to do exactly that. The Bible exposition commentary notes that Christ had to take on a body to accomplish God's will, and yet we must yield our bodies to Christ to allow him to accomplish God's purposes in us. The verb to present is in the aorist tense, means that it's an activity that you do and has a beginning and an ending. It's kind of like opening a door. You open the door, but you can open a door again and again. And so when it says to present your bodies, it's something that we're asked to do on an as-needed basis. If you're like me, it's uh, as-needed pretty often. The need to consciously choose to offer my body to the Lord. We're to present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. The living means that we sacrifice our body time after time as we grow in holiness to the Lord. As you know, it's sometimes harder to live for a cause than to die for one. There have only been three living sacrifices. The first one was Isaac, who uh, escaped with his life as a uh, type of Christ. The second is Jesus, the ultimate living sacrifice. And then the third, amazingly, is us, that we have the opportunity to be living sacrifices and reflect the life of Christ in our lives. A holy sacrifice is one that is set apart for a service. The motto of the Marine Corps is Semper Fidelis, always faithful. Their website states that this is more than a motto, but that it's a way of life. And while each Marine is admonished to adhere to a strict code of conduct, Each Marine must choose to hold to the standards that the Corps has adopted. And yet this is a mere human institution. Will we choose to present our bodies that we might hold to the standards of Christ? When we face temptation, I urge you to remember the admonition, present your bodies. It'll change our mindset immediately. Note that in verse 1 that this action is acceptable to God. Well, the word acceptable here sounds a, a, a bit antiseptic. So if you turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5.9, the word has been translated a little differently here, and I think it gives a clearer meaning. 2 Corinthians 5.9. Paul speaking says that, Therefore also we have as our ambition 
whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. This is more than just performing acceptably like you might at a job or a career path. What it's referring to is a heartfelt desire to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. The idea is that presenting our bodies is a sacrifice that's pleasing to the Lord. Paul gives us his example in Philippians 1, 20 and 21, when he expresses desire that Christ be exalted in his body, whether by life or by death, that for him to live as Christ. This week already on uh, several occasions, as the, the Lord is wont to do, I, I, I can't decide if it's uh, because of a sense of humor or because you're just more sensitized to it. There's been a number of occasions that the Lord has said, I need you to present your body because uh, your thinking's not right. And it's like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. And I have to do it again and again. But I want to be reminded and I want to be challenged to present my body more completely in my gratitude to him that we might live for Christ, that I might live for Christ. Back to Romans 12. The last part of verse 1 states that this activity is our spiritual or reasonable service of worship, depending on your Bible translation. The word reasonable or spiritual is the Greek word logikos, from where we get our word logical. What this verse teaches is that to present our bodies in light of what we know, God's grace and His mercy toward us, that it's the only logical course of action. As one commentator put it, to do anything else is the equivalent of spiritual insanity. A recent Reader's Digest had the article, Are You Nuts? And psychiatrists examine different quirky things that we do as human beings, whether it's wrapping your knuckles or twirling your hair, which that's one I don't do, um, but other things that, that we do. And uh, they went through and examined those and gave their opinion on whether or not, yes, you're nuts or no, that's just part of your natural quirkiness. Paul asks us here, are you nuts? If you choose a course other than presenting your body, then in a spiritual sense, we are. We must be prepared to present our bodies as necessary because as it's been said, the problem with living sacrifices is they have a tendency to keep crawling off the altar. How can we keep this from happening? Fortunately, we have the next few verses to help us out. Look at verse 2 in Romans 12. And do not be conformed to this world. We must refuse the world. In the college class, we've spent a lot of time probably more time than they would like, but uh, we spent a lot of time talking about the verbs in Greek in order to better understand their meaning. And besides a tense, present tense, past tense, and so on, and a, uh, and a mood, uh, indicative and subjective and so on, verbs also have a voice, which primarily is uh, either active or middle or passive. And uh, to illustrate, let me use the sentence, I-, I was in the hospital receiving nourishment. If that were the active voice, that means I'm in the hospital, and I get out the menu, and I order the, uh, the filet mignon, and uh, it comes to me, and it comes on the platter, and I get my knife and fork, and I begin to eat it. I took the active role in that uh, by myself. In the middle voice, I was in the hospital receiving nourishment. In this case, maybe my arms are, are broken, and while I can read the menu and get the filet mignon brought to me, I need Kath to cut it up and maybe feed it to me. So... I had a part, and then she also had a part. In the passive voice, I may be in a coma, 
and the doctor's sticking an IV in me, and I have no idea, no choice. Whatever's in, it's in. I'm sitting there uh, completely subject to whatever they're going to do. Well, the, um, someone else has taken the action that affected me. The word conformed is the Greek word suskematizo, which means to conform oneself to another's pattern. The word is in the middle voice, which is interesting because it means while the world is trying to conform us into its likeness, it doesn't do it without our assent. It still requires our choice to allow the world to make us into its likeness. The idea is shaping one thing into the shape of another that is transitory and unstable. I've got a short video clip that uh, will illustrate well this concept of being conformed and shaped and molded. You know, I still can't figure out what comes out of the gun. I, I'm thinking maybe someone, they, one of them threw their shoe or, or something. But, the, you know, it's, it's pretty entertaining. But as you can see, the shapes are transitory. They're unstable. They're, uh, they're not the reality. Sometimes we want to be shaped into a persona that we think is uh, attractive or well thought of or will earn someone's respect. Or we may even be allowed, we may even allow ourselves to be tricked into adopting the world's value system in our work life, and in our dealing with others. We let ourselves get caught up into the pursuit of worldly gain or slip into engaging into damaging behaviors that could affect ourselves or others around us. In all these, we're allowing the world to press us into its mold. One of our kids got a birthday card a while back that um, described how in the world of muskrats that they didn't celebrate birthdays. And... um, and in the world of muskrats, birthdays weren't allowed. And um, in the world of muskrats, there were no presents given. And I think that was the underlying drive for the card, that, that no presents were going to be given. But um, at the end of the card, it says, but we say no to the muskrat way. And uh, likewise, we say no to the world's way. While it can try to influence us, it cannot have power over us unless we are willing accomplices. What are you and I allowing in our lives that is shaping and conforming us today, contrary to God's desire? We need to refuse the world. Thirdly, to submit to His will. The second half of verse 2 in Romans 12 tells us to be transformed 
by the renewing of our mind. And it's interesting, this word transformed is in the passive voice, and yet we're commanded to be transformed. And you think, well, wait a minute. I, I, I'm, how can I, if it's in the passive voice and I don't have any specific role in it, how can I be commanded to do that? It's true that God alone performs the transforming process. We can't do a single thing to transform ourselves, but there are actions of submitting our body as willing sacrifice that puts ourselves in a position for the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. Look at Colossians 3, 9 and 10. Do not lie to one another. Let me go back to verse 8. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge, according to the image of the one who created him. When we continually present ourselves, and the, the verses in the present tense, then we actively protect our eyes in our ears, in our minds, from allowing the trash of the world to enter, and by continuing to exercise spiritual discipline, such as reading the scriptures and praying with an expectant heart, and when we involve ourselves in activities that promote holiness in our life, then we have offered fertile ground to the Holy Spirit that He can use to produce in us fruit that creates a transformed life. The word transformed is metamorphumia, carrying with it the same meaning or similar meaning as our word metamorphosis, which Webster states is a change in substance, usually by supernatural means. As one commentator has said, this transformation is a change in essence and character and thus creates something complete and durable. Take a look at this short video that illustrates the idea of something that's, tra- that's changed and transformed in its very essence for good. It's kind of neat because it demonstrates this, this idea that it's a passive sense that we're transformed. It's a, uh, it's a handmade knife maker, and it starts off showing this bed of coals, and he's got just a chunk of steel in the coals, and he, and he pulls it out, and the, the blade, uh, the chunk of steel is glowing red, and he hammers it and forges it and pounds it, and it goes through the process of putting a knife blade shape into it. He takes the handle, and he forms it, and he beats it into a shape, and uh, makes the little ring that uh, some of you knife guys know what that's called, and puts it on before the handle. And then he carves out a handle and puts it on the knife. And uh, you see the thing progress until it's from a chunk of steel to a, just a, a beautiful handmade piece of work. And, uh, and at the end, they take it and he slices a piece of paper uh, just as easy as butter. The, uh, the idea is that this knife, um, like it, we can be transformed into something usable for the kingdom. We can be used to sharpen one another or as a tool prepared for use by the master. When we choose to submit and provide the groundwork for this transforming process in our lives, we prove that the will of God is, is uh, we prove that by the will of God we can displace these fleshly desires. Uh, well, we prove the will of God by displacing fleshly des- desires, sorry. Look at Galatians 5.16, a real short verse, so I'll wait until you get there. You know, so often if you're like me, you think, oh, gosh, I did something stupid. I want to quit doing that. I want to stop doing this. I want to change this in my life. You know what? That's not the way it works according to Scripture. By transforming 
by allowing God to transform our lives, that transformation process naturally displaces the fleshly stuff in our lives, so we don't have to worry about it so much. Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. When we submit to His will, and we allow the transforming process, and we present ourselves as fertile soil for the Lord to complete the work in us, the fleshly desires are naturally displaced. The Theological Dictionary of the New Testament says that this renewal is a renewal of thought and will that Christians constantly need if they are to show that they belong to the new era and to the new humanity. We are not of this world. We are sojourners with transformed lives by a transformed mind that proves out the will of God. To prove means to test by examination. This is the idea in 1 Corinthians 3.13 where it says that our work will become evident for the day will show it because it is tried by fire and the fire itself will test each man's work. Here the fire at the judgment seat of Christ will examine our work and uncover our motives. When we submit to the Lord, our lives will reveal under examination what is God's perfect, good, and acceptable will. You know, this isn't like Sears, where Sears has a, a good, better, and best product, right? And you decide which one of those you buy, depending on your, your cash and whatever the product is. There isn't God's acceptable will, and then His good will, and then His perfect will, but rather all those are reflective of what His will is. It's acceptable, meaning well-pleasing. His will is good, meaning it reflects His good character. And it's perfect, meaning that His will is complete and whole. We're to reflect the acceptable, good, and perfect will of God. We received a letter from Bruce Triplehorn a couple of days ago where he and his family are serving, in, serving as missionaries to Brazil. And he said they were at a local missions conference, and the speaker was citing some statistics saying that many professing Christians do not even believe in a biblical worldview. The speaker wondered if it was possible that one could be saved and not have a biblical worldview. If God Almighty has bought us and delivered us from the shackles of hell, and has transformed us, transferred us from, his, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Christ to reign with Him, how can we be in our right mind and not submit to Him? What do we need to change in our lives in order for the Holy Spirit to have free reign in our lives in order to transform us into the likeness of Christ? I can think of a couple of things, and probably you can too. My wife can probably think of a lot of things for me, but um, give it thought. There's things that the Holy Spirit wants us to to change, to allow Him to have that work in our lives. Fourthly, to think rightly. Often a study of the first verses of Romans 12, a stop after verse 2. We always hear Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's Romans, 1, 20, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I've included verse 3 because it's a critical point in linking, linking the entire rest of the chapter and actually the rest of the book. Paul uh, has clearly recognized this grace in his life, if you're with me back at Romans 12. And he gives us some great advice on living it out now practically. He tells every one of us here not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment. There's a play on words here in the Greek. The phrase is, don't be thinking high-minded when you think, but when you think, think soundly. 
When we spend too much time thinking about ourselves, it confuses our judgment and it inhibits our service. Many times I'm not effective with my gifts or service in the body purely because I'm spending too much time thinking about my needs and my wants. When I allow the Lord to have this transforming influence in my life, I begin to think about others and how I can serve them. I begin to use my spiritual gifts according to the measure that the Lord has given me. Look at verse 4. Immediately on the heels of us thinking rightly, Paul reminds us that we who are many are one body in Christ. And then for the rest of the chapter, Paul then discusses our work in the body, our relationship with other believers, and our social responsibilities to everybody in general. For us to think rightly is critical to the transformation process in our lives in order for us to have any practical good in the spheres of influence that we travel in. I was on a bike ride last week, and uh, I'm thinking, man, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm uh, moving along. I'm passing guys, and uh, I'm going up hills and thinking it's going pretty good. And I'm thinking, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, even after my disaster showing at Solvang, I'm, I'm coming back up to speed, and uh, things are going well. And, uh, and even though they've got a, uh, a, a thick NASB Bible with maps and a concordance, um, I'm thinking I'm doing a little better than them, right? And um, about a week or so later, though, I was with some, uh, some riders, and they decided it would be a good idea to, uh, to ride up in the hills in Cowan Heights. And uh, so we're up there, and these guys are moving along, and they're, they're talking while they're going up these hills. And as the hill went up, and it cuts back, but still going up, of course, right? Cuts back the other direction, still going up. They're talking. My peripheral vision is starting to darken, and I'm thinking I'm going to pass out. Now, with these guys, I'm thinking, um, you know, I, maybe I just need to study my Bible harder, or maybe if I just volunteer for the nursery, then I'll do better. I know I'm mixing metaphors here, but you get the idea. We, we spend so much time... <laughs> thanks. We spend so much time thinking about ourselves, whether it's riding the bike or in our Christian life, that we lose out on the transforming process that God wants to have. It's not thinking rightly. My focus is on me and my comparison to others. But our perspective needs to be on the Lord and on those around us. When we do this, the natural outflow will be service to the body and the natural maturity that accompanies it. Let me read a couple of verses that demonstrate the response of believers to the body as this transforming work has taken place in their life. Just a couple of verses down in Romans 12, 10. Uh, I'll just read these. You can try and follow if you want, but uh, we're getting short on time. Romans 12, 10 says, The natural response out of a transformed life and submission to Him is a devotion to one another and brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor. In Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, Similar circumstances, lives given to the Lord. And the result is Paul saying, I entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And lastly, in Colossians 3, 12 to 14, And so as those who have been chosen of God... Holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another. 
and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. You know, I've been so grateful for the years that I've been associated with this body that it continues to demonstrate these characteristics. But as Paul told the Thessalonians, excel still more. We can still present ourselves and allow this transforming work to continue to take place. These things don't happen naturally. They're the result of sound judgment born out of a transformed life. And the idea is that God has assigned to each of us responsibilities in the body and toward one another. I'd like to conclude with just a real simple recap. First of all, and I ask these questions of me as I do of you, will we present our bodies to the Lord? I would ask that if you know Christ today, that you do it again, even before you leave here. If you don't know Christ and would like to learn more, see me after the service or someone else up front. Secondly, what are the areas in our lives that we are being willing participants in allowing the world to mold us and shape us? Refuse it. As Ravi Zacharias said, it's better to shun the bait than the struggle and the snare. Thirdly, will we submit to His will? Will we engage in the process of renewing our minds with a right heart that allows Him to transform our lives? What's an area in which you need to submit to the Lord to today? Lastly, will we think rightly? Will we humble ourselves before the hand of God that He might use us in the area in which we've been gifted in service to the body? In all these things, individually and as a body, May we prove what the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God is in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for the work that you've done in our lives and hearts. Father, desire is to be pleasing to you as we look forward to one day spending eternity with you. Lord, we're grateful for the great love you've shown us and that... um, that we can cast our cares on you and that uh, your yoke is easy, that um, as we give our lives to you, that you do the transforming work in our hearts. We want to give our lives to you today and pray you would take them and use them for your honor and glory. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.